What's up, everybody? Welcome back. This is Jesse. Today, we are talking about five destructive behaviors that can really do a number on your church and some ways you can counteract those behaviors. This is all part, of course, uh, of our month-long series on how to improve your church. Before we get into all of that, we have an announcement about what we're going to be doing in South Queensland in a week uh, or so time. We are super excited about that. And of course, we're going to have our question of the week. If you guys are enjoying question of the week, let us know and let us know of some questions that you'd like us to answer on the fly. Not too deep, but uh, just something for fun. Anyway, that's it for me. Let's get into the episode. Here we go. Welcome back to Burn the Haystack with Josh and Jesse. I'm Jesse. And I'm Josh. And this is a podcast to help you save the best and burn the rest of your culture and faith practices. Cowabunga, baby. Cowabunga! Hey, I am just so excited. Um, we actually haven't mentioned this on the podcast before, but we should we should mention it. Mm. Uh, so this podcast comes out on Wednesday, my dudes. Um, <laughs> and then uh, on this Friday, so what will the date be? I don't even know. Uh, the date will be the 20th of September. Um, yes. On, this is the Friday. And the Wednesday will be the 18th of September. Yes. We are flying on the 20th of September to Brisbane, Australia. Brisbane. To Brisbane. Brisbane. Um, Bris Vegas. <laughs> to, uh, to share at the South Queensland Big Camp in the senior high school tent. Wow. Why it's are a- you saying wow? You know that we're going... <laughs> I've never heard of that before. Are we actually doing that? <laughs> yes. <laughs> uh, oh man, I'm freaking out. No, it's really exciting, but I am freaking out a little bit. It's been a while since I've done like a a long big camp speaking appointment, so I'm super excited. Um, such an honor. Yeah, such an honor. I've never I've never been a guest speaker for a big camp. Oui. I don't think I've only done I've only yeah. done um the junior division. So hey, it's still something. It's not yeah, only man. the juniors, they're just as important as the rest. Bro, honestly, it was so fun. It was really fun because it was a small big camp, like my home conference, South New South Wales. So shout out to South New South Wales. Um, so it was a really like, it was a small conference, a small tent. We had a really cool team. It's great when you have a great team together, but this is like different. Like we're, we're like the important people flying internationally. <laughs> like we're literally... We're international weird guests. I don't, how weird is that? International <laughs> guests to Australia. <laughs> anyway. Um, yeah, so for all of our beautiful um, South Queensland, or I know that there are some far north New South Wales people who go to the South Queensland Big Camp, um, we'd love to see you. So make sure you come and say hi. Um, hi. You know, it'd be Hello. great. Hello. Hi. Uh, yeah, we're really looking forward to seeing you know all of you there because we know that there are quite a few of you who listen from Queensland. So... We you. love you. Um, sorry, that was weird. Okay. Uh, and now we are on to our newest segment, Question of the Week. Question of the Week. Woohoo. All right. What's our, what's our question of the week, Josh? Our question. Okay. So because um, as the meme goes, this week is the uh, Area 51 raid. Uh-huh. Um, because they can't stop all of us. Unfortunately, we're going to be in <laughs> Brisbane, so we won't be able to attend. But um, otherwise, we would have absolutely been there. Yeah, we'll be we'll be sending thoughts and prayers from from Brisbane <laughs> to Area Fifty One to Nevada. 
<laughs> so anyway, the, the the question obviously uh would be if if we were part of the Area 51 raid, what would you take from Area 51? Mm, so many, so many, so many juicy juicy things. You want me to go first? Yes, of course. Oh, okay. All right, so um this one's a little bit more like real world because so I don't know if you've heard of a, a man named Bob Lazar, Josh. I have not. Okay, so Bob Lazar is a physicist who purportedly worked at Area 51 in the 70s, I believe, 70s or 80s. And he's since come out to talk about some of the stuff that he saw and he worked on when he was in Area 51. Really? That's interesting. Kind of like a whistleblower, but it's really hard to know what's fact and what's fiction because there's so much of it. Like, this is like the testimony of one man and... He has a lot of he has a lot of evidence and he has a lot of contact with people that are real life people who worked around the area or who were rumored to work around the area. Um, but the government, uh, the government, the government has made his life um, apparently really difficult since coming out about this stuff. Anyway, I listened to him on the Joe Rogan podcast a, a while ago. And he was talking about some of the alien spacecraft that he worked on because he supposedly worked on these flying saucers, which is like so stereotypical. Yeah, yeah. So he worked on these flying saucers that were not big enough to hold a person comfortably. Like you could go inside them, but you couldn't like sit in there comfortably. And they were like incredibly otherworldly. If you want, just go and listen to the Joe Rogan podcast with Bob Lazar. It's insane. It is actually insane anyway That's the first time you've actually sold me on wanting to listen to a full joe, joe rogan <laughs> podcast other than elon musk that was a good one did you actually watch that one or listen to it uh i think i got two hours through out of the three hours yeah yeah which is pretty good for me with joe rogan i don't normally make it that far but i mean he's good i'm just it's can't listen to the same podcast for that long yeah yeah it's it's an absolute slog anyway so what i'm talking about is the these flying saucers apparently emit an electromagnetic field that allow them to move through space, um, not as in like outer space, but like just space, air, without any wind or, or air interference. So they create a vacuum, right? And they create this vacuum which allows them to do all sorts of bizarro, crazy moves, like going up and down, left and right, forward and backward, you know when you're in a car and you suddenly brake and everybody just goes whoop forward? Yeah. That doesn't that doesn't happen in a vacuum. So if you're flying a vehicle in a vacuum, um, there is no there's no sort of interference. Like you don't get jostled about when you're making quick and sharp turns. And the reason why I say this is more of a real life thing is because Richard Branson and Elon Musk are actually working on something similar to this right now. Huh. In in the real world, it's called the Hyperloop, and it's basically a train network that's built on electromagnets that allows a carriage to move at incredible speeds inside a vacuum. Um, and it's not exactly like alien tech, like what Bob Lazar might be talking about, but it's something which actually has real world application and is feasible ish in the future as far as the advancement of technology is concerned so wow that's if a I, yeah really in-depth answer compared to what i have prepared now <laughs> Sorry. i feel dramatically <laughs> underprepared 
but that's really interesting. I'm genu- that was genuinely interesting. Thank you, Jesse. You're welcome. So I had two that I was pretty torn between. Well, uh, now you just first... have to share both of them. Pardon? Now you just have to share both of them. Well, I guess so. Yeah. Wait. So you you would steal a spaceship, right? That was it. Totally. You'd... Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. That's that. That would. Okay. Cool. Uh. Well, my first answer was a shopping trolley with all four wheels functioning. Obviously, they only <laughs> exist in Area Fifty One, not in our local shopping <laughs> complexes, because all of them have one bung wheel, or sometimes two, if you're really unlucky. Perfect. Um, perfect meme lord. Yeah. Thank you. Uh. And the second uh, would be. Uh, an actual Iron Man suit, because mm. obviously they have one, maybe several. Because how else are they going to stop people from raiding Area Fifty One? How do you envision an Iron Man suit working? Like, what what do you think goes into it? Like, what what sort of capabilities would you imagine a real world Iron Man suit having? <laughs> I don't know. Pretty much exactly the same as the movies. Okay, maybe not like Infinity War and stuff, because the nano. Like, that was a little bit over the top. Maybe even, like, the second, third... No, maybe, like... uh, Maybe the suit he had in, like, Civil War, you know? That was, like, peak. Peak Iron Man. Right. Um, In terms of, like, technology that could actually happen in real life. Well, no. I think the first movie was the most, like, realistic. But even that was so over the top. That, like, battery thing that charges a whole suit is just unthinkable. But even that sustainable energy that comes from one little battery like that, um, and then it can, you can fly with it. You can have like a, you know, like almost like Siri in your in your head or like a Google mm. <laughs> Google Home yeah. kind of thing. Um, I don't know. For me, it'd be awesome to have a suit like that for self defense purposes. <laughs> no, <laughs> and travel purposes. Obviously, it would be mostly travel purposes. Just flying around. <laughs> like I was gonna say a jetpack, and I'm like, well, why don't we just go for the whole shebang and go for like a full suit in which if I fall out of the sky, I can land in and probably be okay. Well, again, like. Something like a jetpack is not actually all that fictitious. Like there are companies out there that are developing jetpacks. So, I mean, it's it's possible. Like I watched a video only a few weeks ago of a guy who can actually just levitate with a suit that he can just wear. Like not a suit that you have to strap on like this whole big mechanism. Like it's just, it's like a bodysuit and it's possible. It's crazy. So it's wow. actually feasible. That's cool. I think I just like the idea of having a suit thing that I could put on to like fly to work. You know what I mean? And rather than mm. it taking me half an hour to get to work, it takes me like two minutes. <laughs> yeah. You know, or I could fly back to Australia if I wanted to. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like I wouldn't feel so international. <laughs> yeah. yeah. That is a that is a crazy thought. Like in terms of travel and the and the way the technology is advancing, like I would love to be able to get to the point where we could live in a world where it didn't really matter where you lived in the world you could still go to places that you wanted to go to catch up with family and to go shopping and to do whatever it is that you need to do in your life like you could live if if the technology was good enough you could live in some abandoned island out in the south pacific somewhere in your little you know robinson crusoe shack or whatever and still be able to do a 99 to 5 jumping on your hyperloop train or your jetpack you know, to go downtown in Auckland or Sydney or, or Los Angeles or something and then just go home and you, you're able to live in this this beautiful paradise but still be able to have the um, the luxuries of being able to participate in like Western society in a city at a desk job or whatever it was. Like that's where I wanted to get to because I think that would be an awesome world to live in. But then everyone would be there 
and then like the beautiful tropical paradises would be just like the suburbs. Yeah, but think about think about the way <laughs> that the earth is like the population and the amount of mass the amount oh, yeah, of like, like density. geographical density of mass. So everybody, because all the jobs are in the cities, all go into cities. But there is more than enough room on the earth for every single human being. I think it's like two two twenty or thirty kilometers of geographical mass per person or something like that. Somebody will probably correct me. But if that was true and you could just live wherever and work wherever, that means that you wouldn't have to be restricted to living in the suburbs or living in a big city because you could live anywhere and work anywhere. Like that would be an awesome yeah, world okay. to live in. Oh, that's pretty cool. All right. Well, we are well out of time for question out of the week, but interesting stuff. Let us know if you go, if you would go on the area 51 raid, um, what would you, uh, what would you, yeah, what would you take out? Um, and also <laughs> just a side note, disclaimer, if you are actually planning on going to Area 51 and raiding it, please don't. Do not raid Area 51. It is a government facility. You will go to prison or get shot. Okay? Just yeah. saying. All right. That's our little disclaimer so people know that we aren't actually serious about people raiding Area 51. Okay, great. I feel like sarcasm Area was fi- enough. I feel like Area 51 is like this year's don't drink bleach. <laughs> Like Tide, Tide pods, pods or whatever it is. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Goodness, yeah, that's kind of is. Yeah, so if anybody's thinking of going, sure, you can go and look at it from a distance. Don't try and get in. Okay, yeah. great. All right, yeah. excellent. Yeah. But today we have an amazing topic. Um, an amazing topic. Piping <laughs> my own topic. No, that's not my own topic. We wrote this together, obviously. Um, but, you know, last the last two weeks, we've sort of done how to... Well, really, it was like start a revolution in your church. But um, it was basically how to bring change to your church. Um, so this week, we thought it would be totally sensible to talk about how to destroy a church. <laughs> now you know how to just, like, completely build your church up and make it the best that it can be. So now it's only responsible that we give you the equal and opposite knowledge of how to how to destroy it. So then you have the power of of the two possibilities in your hands and you can weigh them up. What do I do? <laughs> so basically this is like five really destructive behaviors or even sort of attitudes in churches. Um these these are the things that are toxic. They poison churches and just make everything go downhill. You've probably been you've probably seen them, you've probably been affected by them. Maybe you've participated in them, participated in them. Um, and you haven't even realized, or maybe you did realize. So this week, yeah, we want to talk about it. Um, mm. And we also have little solutions as well to help you work um, and to help you not do them. Yeah. So we're not just going to talk them. about all the, the really crappy stuff that's going to make your church be the worst that it can be. We're going to talk about some of the attitudes and behaviors that can really potentially kill the, the, the God-given mission that your church has, but also some ways that you can combat this attitude if you encounter it hmm yeah awesome yeah so uh i guess we'll just get started then um so our first one jesse do you want to start us off all right sure um the first number one destructive behavior that can and will kill your church is a critical slash a cynical attitude which Mm. i think on some level we can all identify with and I think we've all participated this in some way at some point in our lives. I think that's just human nature. Well, yeah. And I mean, <laughs> obviously, like, it's not lo- lost on us sometimes on this podcast. We get critical and cynical of things too. 
um, about church life. So obviously this is something that's like very real to us, but we thought we want to talk about it because this is more, I think, if you're if you're critical or, and cynical about everything with your church, then yeah. it gets really destructive. I think it's wise to be critical. I don't know if it's wise to be cynical about things, but... Mm. Yeah, I think, I mean, like Jesus instructs us to be as innocent as doves and as wise as serpents. And, you know, in Genesis chapter 3, Genesis chapter 3 opens up with the serpent was the most wily, wise, cunning creature in all the garden. And, you know, that's presented as a positive and a negative thing all throughout scripture. Like the serpent is is, um, painted as being cunning, but so is wisdom in the Proverbs. Like, the wise woman is a cunning woman in the sense that she is smart and she doesn't see she doesn't fall easily for traps so i think it's i think it's a good thing to be critical um being critical just simply i mean i think there's a difference between being critical and analytical and having a critical spirit i think that those two things are different like mm. if you have a critical spirit then you are somebody who just sees the worst in everything or you know somebody who will take on like if you have nine compliments and and one sort of um negative thing said about you you're not going to dwell on those nine things that people said about you that were great you're going to dwell on that one thing yeah um Whereas being critical or analytical is just simply, it's being wise. It's not being foolish. It's, it's not just being able to be taken in all the time. So those are, two different, those are two different things, but it's just kind of, I guess, unfortunate that they, they share the same word. And so they kind of get, you know, jammed in together sometimes, perhaps. Yeah. Um, so sort of the reason this can be destructive is because... I think it it really just makes sort of like a cloud of doubt and negativity that a lot of new things or like new ideas and um, even old ideas, but done in a new and fresh way or um, yeah, things that can be good. There sort of becomes this cloud of doubt and negativity that things just can't brush through to be effective. Mm. Like if you've got, a, if you've got say 50 people at your church, and you've got like three people who are really pumped on a new thing and they want to try something, but then you've got another 20 people who are being super doubtful and cynical and critical of it. It's ne- it's never going to take off. Like that is such a, oh, it's just like an unnecessary barrier for things. Mm. Um, sure, they can be a bit, bit critical and be like, uh, like ask good questions. That's sort of what a business meeting is for and that kind of thing to help, un- you know, get, get plans more fleshed out. That's what we talked about in the last episode. Um, but yeah, I guess like if it's just a attitude of like total cynicism about everything, it's just, I don't know. It just creates a huge unnecessary barrier for any sort of effectiveness to come through. Yeah, if it's a critical spirit for the sake of being critical. And really, I think it's interesting. A lot of the things that we're talking about, it's kind of like a chronic thing. Like it's something that you continue to do over and over and over again over time. Yeah. Um, so being critical and cynical all the time every meeting every sabbath school lesson every sermon every every event like that just oh man there's nothing that that throws fire on uh water rather on the fire of new ideas and innovation than a critical or a cynical attitude like the attitude of well we've tried this in the past and it never worked or you know we've been here before and this is what happened or it'll never work because that's silly or you know blah 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 you can fill in the gaps with your own personal experience no doubt um yeah 
Totally. Yeah. And then what will happen if this continues to happen, um, like the result of this continuing over time is that people will stop sharing new ideas. Yeah. People will stop trying. Yeah. And, and, and I should note as well, it's a lot easier to be negative than it is to be positive. Like the human brain, for some reason, just is drawn towards negative, um, pessimistic, um, downers like it's just it's some it's something in human psychology and of course there are people that just want to see the good in everything and that's awesome but that's probably not most of us that's why most of the news is bad because i mean let's be honest what what what's gonna sell more that a bunch of puppies are really adorable and they you know are, are lovely or that 17 people died in a fire somewhere in you know the united states like that's yeah. unfortunately bad news sells negative news sells but that's um, why they always finish news on a high note and today we had a kitten fashion festival <laughs> <laughs> laura reporting for us with adorableness you know like it's, yeah. yeah right after all the genocides and the murders and the natural disasters <laughs> and Len, just in case that you were feeling really depressed here's a little something to get you back up again <laughs> yeah watch this monkey ride a llama <laughs> I don't know, whatever it is um yeah yeah, yeah. Um, uh, but yeah, over t- as uh, you're so right, Josh. Over time, a negative, uh, a, a cynical attitude it really does put the the dampener on innovation and new ideas. And eventually, people will just sh- stop sharing because, well, you're creating an environment, you're creating a culture where new ideas and innovation just aren't welcome. And so, either those people will stop sharing, and you'll make them cynical as well, or they'll move and they'll stop going to church or they'll go to a different church because that's just what happens. Yep, that's that's exactly what happens. And I think a lot of us have seen the result of super cynical and critical churches and exactly what it produces. So, yep. anyway, um, so what's the answer? Yeah, uh, well, or an answer. We don't have the answer. Just oh, I should be happy. <laughs> just, just don't do it. No. <laughs> um, yeah. I should mention as well, uh, we didn't mention this before. These are not like the five most destructive habits. These are just like five things. It's not like the most or they're not in any particular order. Um, And our solutions for it are just small little solutions and not, they're not exhaustive. We're just, I don't know. They're just little ideas that we hope might help and we've tried to make them as practical as we can. Yeah. Yeah. Um, So it should be, it should be noted as well, like, when it comes to being cynical or when it comes to being critical, like it isn't enough to say, just don't do it. It, it. Like some people, it's really hard because let's be honest, some people have had a really tough life and some people have a reason to be cynical. Some people have a reason to be critical because they've been hurt or you know they've suffered disappointment or any number of other things. So it's really hard to just say, get over yourselves and just be optimistic about everything because for some yeah. people that's just, it's, it's not hitting the right notes. Um, you know, I in pastoral ministry, you meet so many people and when you get to hear their stories and you get to hear the, all the ways that they've been hurt and all the ways that um, the church has done wrong by them or, or done wrong by their family or, or even just the tragedy that they've suffered in their life, sometimes it's easy to say, yeah, you know what? I, yeah, you, I'm going to give you a pass. You, you can be <laughs> as negative as you want. You've suffered horrible stuff in your life. But I've also observed people that have equally suffered through immeasurable tragedy and injustice and they're still positive and they're still upbeat Mm. and it's like what it's like what um victor frankl observed in the nazi concentration camps you know the people that 
um, just gave up on life. Some people just lost the will to live because they were being treated like animals. They were being treated unfairly. And so some people, they weren't gassed. They weren't shot. They weren't starved to death. They didn't die of sickness. But some people just, they just gave up and they lost the will to live. Yeah. And, and on the flip side, some people he observed chose to still live with dignity. They chose to still live like they were a person with with um, with dignity, with value, that they were valuable and that they had a God-given um, image that they were living in. Even when the Nazis said that you as a Jew are, are less than human, you're subhuman, you are the answer to all the evils in the world, you're the reason why the world is so horrible and you deserve to die. People who chose to ignore those lies and to live like they still have dignity, they st- they had a much higher chance of surviving the concentration camps than um, than those people who just who just gave up. Um, mm. So I know that's kind of long winded, but I mean seriously, it's a lot of the time it's it's down to oh I have personal responsibility to act in a certain way, and there there comes a time where we have to stop making excuses for the way that we've been hurt to justify the way that we act. Um, and I, I do think that's a seriously, incredibly difficult thing to do, to, to say, even though I've been hurt, even though I've suffered disappointment, even though I've suffered tragedy on so many different levels, I'm going to still live like I have value and the people around me have value. That takes real spiritual and personal maturity to do. Mm. Yeah, no, it's a good word. Um, and I think like one little practical thing you can do is um, whatever happens in your church community, or I mean, if you're applying this to any community and you're just trying to help yourself get out of uh, a cycle of cynicism, um, try and think about just like one positive thing, you know, that's going to come out of whatever you, you know, if your church is doing a new thing, just like you might be really cynical to start off, but just try and think, okay, wait, what, what's one good thing that will come out of this, you know, or what's one good thing that's going to, that, that happens when we do this, what's one good thing and try and share it with someone too, you mm. know, cause then it, it helps other people see that, Oh, they're not just a cynical mess all the time. You know, um, that's something I've done. That's really helped me be a bit less cynical is just taking time to actually think through, okay, no, what's actually something that's going to happen out of this that is going to be good. Cause surely mm. there's one thing, um, <laughs> And even if it takes you a while to think about it, you know, it's good because that means you're actually consciously forcing yourself to think about, okay, what what could be good here? Like it's a flip on the mindset. Yeah. Amen. Amen. Love it. Yeah. Cool. Um, If you have any other suggestions, send me away. Awesome. So number two is gossip. Whew. Oh my gosh, Josh. Did you hear about that other person? <laughs> that other person with a name? <laughs> and the face? Hey, you. You. You with the face. <laughs> yeah. Um, I think, honestly, all of us have been a little bit burned by this. Yep. Um, well, I don't know. A lot of us have, at least. Um, gossip runs rampant in church churches. And it's it runs rampant in a lot of communities. But it gets amplified in churches a lot because there's sort of a, a side part of, like, spiritual care in a way mm. like oh hey did you hear about what's happening with such and such we need to pray with them oh no i haven't heard oh well it's like this 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 this, this. we need to pray for them you know what i mean and it's yeah yeah very yep. can get very toxic very fast yep uh yeah churches are the worst at this sometimes which is crazy because that's like one of the big keystones of 
you know, the Sermon on the Mount and Jesus' teaching, which is, you know, care for people, be kind to them, don't talk about them behind your back, don't, you know, it, it's kind of Jesus paints this as something that other people do, that the world does, and yet, yep. yeah, Christians get caught up with it um, so much. I don't know how much more needs to be said about gossip. It's just toxic. It it just, <laughs> honestly, it just, it just destroys relationships. Um, it can really, really damage um, friendships. Um, and I know that from personal experience. Um, it's, yeah, it's, it's horrible. Yeah. Um, yeah. No, absolutely. Like, and I mean, what is it? James in chapter three, right? It's like a whole chapter about it pretty much. The whole taming of the tongue. Yeah. Um, and he's so right. He talks about how like this huge destructive power that can come from this tiny little muscle in your body. Um, and yeah, I think just reality of like your, your words have, I don't think, I think we forget how much, how much like how much power and weight our words can carry. Um, and as well, like, you know, the, the thing is when, when gossip starts and the gossip train starts, it really breaks, um, obviously like it breaks trust in churches. And then when people aren't willing to share and be transparent in their church community, then <laughs> that's not functional. <laughs> yeah, it, just, right? it, it amplifies sin. It amplifies um, dysfunction, spiritual, emotional, social, sexual, the whole, the whole shebang. Um, people feel like they can't share with other people without their dirty little secret getting out or their struggle getting out, whatever the case may be. And so you end up with a a church community full of people who all kind of know that everybody's all messed up and everybody's struggling with stuff, but nobody's willing to actually share because, well, it's 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 all about I'll, I'll be embarrassed or I'll be humiliated or or whatever. Yeah, which is horrible because usually the in that situation, the secret will get out somehow, somewhere, and then it'll end up even worse than if the person was just honest with the people around them and said, hey, this is what I'm struggling with. Can you help me with this? Yeah. Because um, churches should be the safest place for people to share their burdens. That's exactly what churches pitch to be. It's meant to be a community who like, does the walk together. Mm. And people should be safe at our churches even when they're not there. You know, like, like obviously, like if somebody tells you something, it should always remain in confidence, in my opinion. If mm. you want to pray, if you want to get more people praying about it, for example, if you're like, hey, we need to pray for this person, just say, hey, look, there's someone. Uh, I just like say you go to a prayer group. Just go and like you don't have to say it's even someone from our church. You can just say, hey, look, I've just got somebody who's connected with me and their family is just really falling apart or whatever at the moment they've been fighting they've divorced or like separated or whatever um can we just pray for them i'm not going to give you a name or details or anything i just want to pray for them you know what i mean like obviously like god knows who it is <laughs> they don't need to know mm. um ah it's just it gets really frustrating sometimes it's, yeah, yeah. And, all, and all it is is just having a little bit of wisdom and a little bit of sensitivity and just choosing to protect that person because really what you're doing is you're protecting that person because you never know where the information is going to go once your tongue has kicked into gear and it's out there. Like once it's out there, it's anybody's game. Even it, And here's the thing that gets me all the time. Even when that person says, 
oh, I probably shouldn't be telling you this. Don't tell anybody else. It's like, well, how many people have they actually been along to? (laughs) Yeah, or I'm telling you this in confidence and then, you know, that person tells someone else in confidence and then that person (laughs) tells someone else in confidence. Like, it's just... uh, Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Like, I think you're always better off to, like, lean on the side of sharing too little to sharing too much. Yeah. (laughs) Right? Yeah, lean on the side of caution. Absolutely. Yeah. So, I mean, as far as a practical element for this... Sometimes, like it, <laughs> again, just saying don't do it isn't enough. But sometimes it is seriously before you are sharing something that you think um, you may need to just take a step back and think, hold on, should I be sharing this or should I not be sharing this? Like that, maybe that's just what needs to be. Yeah. Uh, just ask yourself, like, the person who, like, okay, I'm telling someone about something Jesse told me, for example. And then mm. before I tell them, I'm just thinking, okay, A, should I, like, should I say this? Well, hmm, would Jesse say this to this person? Probably right. not. So I won't say it. Or would Jesse put this on Facebook? No, he probably wouldn't. Or, you know, <laughs> would Jesse, would Jesse share this on the church stage? Hmm, maybe, but it, that's best for him to do it, I think. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, it's just having a process and a filter for things you share is pretty important. Yeah. Yeah, and really what it is, it's about honoring the other person and giving them privacy and giving them the respect that they really deserve, um, especially if they're going through a, a season that is really challenging for them or you know they're going through something that could potentially really embarrass them. I mean, obviously, there are limits. Um, there's, there's always something called duty of care when it comes to confidentiality, um, yeah. but it's not, it's, not, it's not healthy to share with your, your mate something that is potentially dangerous it's best to go to the appropriate authorities whether that be police or whatever it might be you know yeah (laughs) if somebody's being abused then you need to go to ot or you need to go to the police or you need to go to whatever social you know um agency is appropriate in that situation telling your friend about it is not necessarily the best thing because unless they're a social worker or a policeman themselves what are they going to be able to do about the situation so yeah I guess that's a different element I didn't think about. But yeah, totally true. Um, yeah. Yeah. So I guess it's always it's always good rather than talking about people, just talk to people, right? Yeah. That's yeah. <laughs> yeah. that's the easiest thing to just err on that side. Um, I mean, unless you're talking someone up, you know, hey, this person's yeah. so good. No, talk, talk about and to them. That's even better. All right. Anyway. Maybe that's <laughs> like, yeah, that's like a reversal. Like if somebody is really very humble and they've done something really amazing... And they don't want other people to know about it. Oh, man, what do you do? Like, there might be some situations where it would be a good thing to talk them up to other people. Like, that's kind of like good gossip. <laughs> Positive I'm, gossip? I don't know if po- that's yeah. it. Yeah, I don't know. That's good. We should think about that and come back to it one day. Um, <laughs> <laughs> all right, cool. Never thought uh, about what's that. our third one, Jesse? Okay. I think, okay, so we've, we've, had, we've had a critical, cynical attitude and yep. we've had gossip. What is number three? Number three is a lack of teachability. Ooh. And um, I know that's not something that I struggle with because I already know how to do this, but (laughs) (laughs) Uh, yeah, no, a lack of teachability is, is, yeah, it's honestly a really, really tough one, especially with churches, Um, especially with Protestant churches. I I haven't found this so much with um, my Catholic brothers and sisters, but especially with Protestants, this is really, really chronic. Um, And really what I'm talking about here is... 
I've got it all together or I've arrived at the right doctrinal or doctrinal position or, you know, I've got all my theological ducks in a row and I don't need to learn anything else because I've got the truth. That's something that we in our faith tradition love to say, how we have the truth or we know the truth or something like that. Like the truth is an object that I possess or something yeah. like that. Um, and really what this breeds is this is this sort of arrogant sort of um we've arrived at attitude and mentality like we like we've got nothing else to learn god has nothing else to say god's spirit is got his mouth shut there's nothing else for us we just have to lean in on what we have and reinforce that and reinforce that and reinforce that over and over and over again because yep. that's what's true and that's what's good and there's nothing else to learn yeah and something to keep in mind as well, I'm sure a lot of people right now, you're thinking of somebody who's like, ah, yeah, see, they have no teachability. They don't learn anything. <laughs> this happens on all sides of the theological spectrum. You can be like super fundamental right wing. You can be super fundamental left wing. Um, and yeah. like, yeah, you, whether you think, ah, oh, that person's way too conservative. I can't learn anything from them. Or you think, ah, oh, that person's way too liberal. I can't learn anything from them. That's just... That's where it all starts. You can be this in any side of this. So you always need to be open to learning. Um, yeah. Yep. 100%. And here's the thing that I've, I've learned. Um, I should probably say, stop saying learning all the time because we've been saying it so much. But I, I've, I've come to the place where even if I don't agree with everything that somebody else says, I have trained myself to try and think, okay, what can I take from what they're saying and apply it in my own understanding? In my own learning, um, I don't think it's. I, I think it's fairly naive to assume that if I am learning from a teacher, let's say a pastor or a preacher or a, some sort of teacher that informs the way that I think about the world and life and the cosmos and Jesus and church and all that sort of stuff. If I'm learning from somebody that I trust, then I'm going to automatically believe everything that they say and I'm going to agree with all of their theological positions. I think that's just really naive. Um, of an expectation I think that's a naive expectation if you're listening to this podcast like I want you as a listener to disagree with some of the things that we think because what no. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I think that's healthy like I think it's unhealthy to try and look for that perfect bible teacher or that perfect life teacher that you can agree with everything that they say and you can lean on their understanding you know completely I think that's just incredibly naive so better than that, I I think, is to search out people that you know that you're probably going to disagree with and listen to them anyway and, and try and glean um, what you can from what they're saying. Because regardless of who they are, like if they're like, like we're not talking about extremes here, we're talking about like moderates, um, there's going to be something that you can learn from everyone. Everyone can be your teacher if you let them. Mm, yeah, that's good. Um, and I think even as well, the danger that we come into when churches, when too many people don't have any teachability, what happens in churches is you end up just hearing the same stuff over and over and over and over again. It becomes just so much of like, it, yeah, it just becomes a circle of just hearing the same thing and like pleasing everyone's own egos. Um, like it, it you, you know, the, the, the sermon is always the same. The small groups are always the same they're all just going over the same thing and just making themselves feel smart because they already know all the answers yeah um that's that's what it gets to um 
Yeah, we and go from we go from being a city on a hill that draws people to it to a city on a hill that has closed its gates. <laughs> that's true. Yeah, <laughs> um, that's good. Yeah, and so that's what we don't want. We want because that's just the discipleship journey is a journey of constant growth. Um, it's of a constant that journey of sanctification. It's Jesus constantly being more and more and more embedded in our heart and growing in us and um, being grown in the Holy Spirit and led by the Holy Spirit. You never arrive. You always have to be growing. Mm. Um, now, people say that all the time. People who I know don't learn anything new and they'll say, you need to be growing all the time. They don't really live it. <laughs> um, mm. So anyway, but yeah, it's just, it's something that's got to be real to us. We always have to have that um, teachability. Mm. Uh, so a practical thing, um, yeah, uh, yeah. One practical thing: write and or share down one new thing you've learnt each week. Or if you're really new to this, maybe you can just try doing it each month. But the more often, the better. Mm. Um, maybe if you can do like, what's something new I learnt today? You know, and just trying to do it every day and being like, okay, what's something I I learnt? It's it's really helpful. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. And you'll find over time, those small practices will snowball into more and more transformation. And the person that you were um, last year will not be the person that you are this year. And that's a good thing, usually. Yeah, yeah usually. <laughs> it's like a 1% in- increase each day and it just compounds and gets huge. Yeah. Cool. Uh, anything else to add to that, Jesse? No, no, I think that's good. And I think that leads us really nicely into point number four. It does. So we've had a critical, cynical attitude, goal sip, and a lack of teachability. Number four, uh, is it me this time? Go for it. Yeah. It's me. Okay. Is spiritual practice without spiritual transformation? It's such mm. a sermon. I love it. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, so a lot, a lot, a lot, a lot of Christians, um, you know, I'm, I'm sure it happens in every religion, but I guess we, yeah, we notice it in ours. Many Christians attend church without actually expecting to be changed or, or they just really go and they just go through the motions yeah. of spiritual practices. And that, you know, when more and more people start doing that in a church, it becomes very dangerous and destructive. Oh yeah. Big time, big time. We all kind of just rock up. All together, we all sing the same songs, we all listen to the sermon, we do whatever else is doing, but we are just passive attenders, we're not active participants. And we end up with this situation where you have a, a church full of Christians that are all the same, and they were the same as they, are, uh, as they were last year, and the year before that, and 10 years <laughs> yeah. ago. Yep. Yeah, um, and that's, yeah it's 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 how you move from being like a church to like a country club i guess um, yeah yeah exactly yeah exactly. so like w- the, the reality is like jesus didn't like i mean we talk about this all the time jesus didn't really set out to make people more religious in a way he wanted that like relationship with people and i know it's such a cliche now but um you actually need to take time and you need to to figure out and translate whatever you do as spiritual practice um, I guess, or whatever you do, um, but you need to actually translate it into your relationship with Jesus and how you're growing in that space and what it looks mm. like there. That's yeah. what needs to happen. And when you've got a whole community of people doing that, it lifts the roof off the place, honestly. Yeah. Yeah. And this, this yeah, it is a, is a beautiful lead in from that lack of teachability idea, because if you are 
willing to learn every week or every month or every day, then you are going to be constantly looking for places and, and, and situations that can help inform your spiritual practices um, so that you can go deeper with God, so that you can go deeper into serving, so that you can go deeper with generosity or deeper with mission or deeper with the relationships with people around you. Um, and you're going to allow that, that spirit of like, I want to learn, I want to grow, I want to be more um, to, to, to really direct and, and infect the way that you live your everyday life. And you're just going to continually be um, outpouring and in, 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 in filling as well um, in that constant process of transformation. Um, and that's, again, like these are, these are all things which like the last two weeks are all about personal responsibility. There's yeah. nobody can do this for you. Yeah, no. Um, yeah, so, I mean, and, and that's the thing. There will be times when you go to church and you are like spiritually hungry or, you know, you go to any sort of spiritual gathering or even just a stage of life and you'll be spiritually hungry. And it's great to keep on developing that hunger because that means that this will happen kind of naturally. If you're spiritually hungry, you're hungry for more of God, then, you know, you will just, everything that happens, you will make it spiritual. And that's awesome, an awesome space to be in. But you do need to have discipline for times when you are not hungry um, because yeah. sometimes life, life just happens, you know, and you get into spaces where you're just not chasing after God as much as you used to. And, um, or, you know, you just become worn out or whatever, whatever it is. Um, but you actually need to create disciplines and habits that will make this happen. Even when you aren't hungry for God, it's the same as going to the gym. You actually have to make like a habit out of it because you don't feel like going every day, but you know, you, well, some people do, I don't, <laughs> but I have to make a discipline that just ensures that I go every day without thinking about it. Um, and it's the same, I think, in it, often in our relationship with our God. There are times when I'm like, yes, like everything, ah, this is the best. And then there are times when I just don't want to borrow it. But if I create good disciplines that will actually make me continually translate and, and bring things into my relationship with Jesus, then it ensures that in a way I'm always growing. There'll be different growth stages, obviously, and different um, speed of growth in different seasons. But um, yeah, so a really great little practice for this is taking 15 minutes after you've done whatever, like go, yeah, after you've gone to church or gone to a small group or, you know, a Friday night or whatever it is. Um, take 15 minutes. It doesn't need to be immediately after. It might be later when you get home or something. Just honestly set a timer on your phone or on your watch for 15 minutes and just reflect, write down or you know, record yourself or share with somebody, what did this bring to the table for me and God? What mm. did this, how did this affect my relationship with Jesus? What did this bring to me, um, to us in this? Um, you know, share it on your Instagram story, whatever it is, like whatever's mm. going to help you con concrete, concrete that. I don't know. What's yeah. The word? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, that's what you need to do. Any, any other thoughts there, Jesse? Yeah, I think, I think, one of the things that we've lost is that spiritual practice part. It's that liturgy part. You know, I think a lot of the, the early church uh, was a lot of liturgy, a lot of ritual, a lot of ceremony and, 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 and practice. And we've kind of lost that a little bit. And I think that's a shame. A lot of it, obviously, you can still go through the motions and do these practices without actually thinking about it. But I think that when it comes to Protestantism, especially we've really heavily relied on the intellectual, academic, um, theological side of 
having all the right doctrines and having all the right spiritual ideas, but we've kind of lost these spiritual practices. So I think in any way that you can, it's really important to not only have passion, but have discipline. Um, because I think a lot of the time, church people either have heaps of passion, but no discipline, or they have lots of discipline and zero passion. Um, mm. I think we need both. Yeah. And I think that we really need to, as much as we heavily lean on theological and um, brain-based uh, ideas when it comes to the head, we also need the heart and the hand. Um, mm. So. Yeah, how much more preachery could I say? I'm using all these preacher words. <laughs> hey, preach it, pastor. All right. Uh, okay, all right. that's so good. Okay, so we've had a critical, cynical attitude, um, gossip, a lack of teachability, spiritual practice without spiritual transformation. Take us home, Jesse. What's the last one? Finally, the uh, fifth destructive behavior that could kill your church is an us and them attitude. Ooh. Us and them. Um, so there's a lot, a lot, a lot of application in this one. Um, so to make it really, really simple, it's basically, do you belong to a group that defines itself by its opposition to another group? So mm. maybe you're a, a Seventh-day Adventist and you define yourself by the fact that you don't speak in tongues because that's what those dirty Pentecostals do because they're so happy clappy and, you know. What that's a, horrible. Yeah. Or maybe maybe you are a Pentecostal and you just feel sorry for all the Seventh-day Adventists and the Baptists and the Anglicans and the Presbyterians because they don't speak in tongues and so therefore they don't have the mark of the Spirit of God upon their mm. lives. They don't have the Spirit because they don't speak in tongues or... Um, they're bound by the law or, yeah. right yeah they're legalistic you know they're <laughs> yeah. stodgy and boring and you know all that sort of stuff or maybe you are a young person in a church that just you don't get along with the older people you think they're you think they're legalistic or they're um grumpy or they don't really care or that all they care about is their pews and their hymns and they don't care about you as a person or maybe you are a, an, an elderly person, um, somebody who uh, really doesn't think that the young people care. They don't care about your wisdom. They don't care about the the experience and they don't respect the work and the investment that you've put into the church and they just want to change everything and they, they just want to wreck everything. Mm. Um, they don't make young people like they used to. <laughs> <I'm pretty> <laughs> <sorry>. <laughs> Either way... Um, if you fit into any of those categories, or maybe there's another category, um, you have fallen into the us and them trap. It's thinking about yourself as higher or better than another group because, well, they do a, they do this thing which is stupid or terrible, or they're not like us and they're not open-minded or they're not theologically sound enough or, you know, fill in the blank again. Yeah. Um, yeah. Um, totally true totally real we've see it all i see it all the time in churches um and even i guess between sacred and spec uh sacred and spec sacred and secular you know yeah. like people i don't even really like the word secular but that's a whole other podcast um but how people like the view oh you know it's worth religious and they're not they're the dirty pagans in our city or whatever <laughs> um dirty yeah. atheists or whatever or even yeah. atheists thinking like oh there's bound up Christians or whatever. Those idiots, those foolish, they just <sighs> believe in a, a guy in the sky. 
Oh, yes. <laughs> um, yeah, it's really easy to fall into an us and them attitude. Yeah. And it's community breaking, honestly. As soon as you... Because that's, in my opinion, that's like the devil's... Uh, and we never talk... Like, you never go into this sort of stuff. But that's like the enemy's plan, in my opinion, is to constantly divide us. Because spiritual growth always happens in community. The more community there is, um, the more I find people grow like authentic and real community. As soon as there's division, as soon as people feel isolated um, from another group, then they'll just feel more isolated from, you know, and it just creates more and more division until you feel isolated and alone. And from my experience, like there are seasons where we have like soul, a, more of a solo journey in our Christian faith, but ultimately it always happens best in community. Yeah. And that's why I think like anything that creates divisions like this I think is like a supernatural work of the enemy, in my it's opinion. It's satanic, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I yeah. don't want to say satanic, but you're right. It's, <laughs> it's just a heavy word. I never use it. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, well, the word satan or satan literally just means the enemy. So it's not the, yeah. the name of our adversary. It is anything that the enemy does to divide. So anything that the enemy does is satanic by definition. Yeah, I think it's just because it's loaded for me. Yeah. In a, you know what I mean? But anyway, that's... Yeah, yeah no, no, that's, fair enough. Um, that's me. Um, yeah, but uh, so I think like anytime you create like an us and them attitude, oh, it's so destructive. Like don't underestimate how destructive because it can start with a simple, real like something really yeah. simple like, oh, those old people in church. You know what I mean? Or something <laughs> like, oh, those young hooligans or whatever. It can start with a gossip session, you know? True. <laughs> um, yeah. Yeah. So, all right. So we, we, I think most people can really get their heads around the us and them scenario, whether we've fallen prey to it or we've been the victim of it or probably both in, yeah. in reality. Yeah. What are some practical steps that we can make to um, make sure that this is something that doesn't creep into our spiritual practice in churches? What do you reckon, Josh? What do I reckon? Okay. <laughs> uh, okay. Well, First, uh, let's go with make an effort to cross generational boundaries. Um, I would say try and join in like where you can or like with a another Sabbath school group, for example. This is a good one because a lot of our churches have Sabbath school, so it's an easy tool for me to leverage. Even if you don't really like Sabbath school that much, just hear me out. Um, like go to like a more senior uh, dominated Sabbath yeah. school. Yeah. yeah. Um, or if you're, uh, if you're in a older category go to like the youth one one week or something or the teens and just hang out um like doesn't have to be weird or just help it you know or go to a social Mm. and even if you don't want to be like weird and like you're like 20 something showing up at a 60s plus only event like just offer to help run it for example Mm. is really good or just go and visit them during the week it's it's that sort of like just finding little opportunities to intentionally um just jump in and just put Make rather than just brand them with, uh, you know, a 60s plus in our church or something, or brand them as a young person, you actually brand them as, oh, hey, that's that's um, that's Greg, you know what I mean? Like, yeah, yeah, that they become a real person, it really begins to just uh, melt away a lot of the, I guess, prejudices we we, have. We we talk a lot in society about like objectifying, like object men objectifying women or or whatever, but this is really the same thing, you are objectifying somebody. You are turning them into an idea or an object without, or a group without actually thinking about them as an individual. And you'll be blown away by some of the common ground that you can share 
with somebody that you might think you have nothing in common with. It's absolutely surprising how that happens. And it is a beautiful thing when it happens, when you realize that you share some of the same common interests and you can talk to people on that level. It is it is just beautiful. Yeah, oh, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, all right, Jesse, what's, uh, what's another one? Okay, this is one which is probably going to make some of the um, Adventists in the room a little bit nervous, but the next one's going to be even worse. Um, this one is cross-denominational um, boundaries. Um, Ooh. Yeah. So whether you live in a city with a bunch of churches or in a little town with not that many churches, make an effort to actually build relationships with people outside of your tribe. Um because it's really easy to sit in your holy huddle and to, you know, be that uh, be that city on a hill that's the the drawbridges up and the you know the 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 walls high and and well guarded and to look out onto all the other holy huddles around who are all doing the same thing and mm-hmm. to just talk about how you know those Baptists really don't have their their act together or those Pentecostals are just bizarro or that random evangelical church down the road is just so blah, blah, blah. When you cross those denominational boundaries and you meet some of those people, at least for me, I found, oh, hang on. We like agree on like 70 to 80% of our theology. And oh, wait, also these are people who love Jesus and they love people and they're actually interesting and fun and they have the same ministry heart that I do. Who would have known? Yeah. Yeah. Um, it's honestly like, I remember like, uh, it sounds horrible, but I remember thinking like how different we must have been from all these denominations. And it honestly wasn't until I started going to some more cross-denominational stuff that I realized how much we have in common. And I was like, what was I thinking, you know? <laughs> um, and I guess like if you are really, I, I, I don't know, it's even a great way for you to help shape your like as a, as an Adventist, for example, we often don't have much to do with other denominations. I'm trying to change that personally, um, but it's a great way to help you shape your beliefs because as soon as somebody who genuinely is asking about it and they have their own strong held beliefs, and you've got to talk about it, it's a great way to really solidify what you believe and understand what you believe more. Um, it's yeah. also a great way to just hear and understand someone else. Just to do, just take time and listen. Be like, okay, so you know, tell me, like, you know, you you, you speak in tongues, like why what does it mean to you just listening you don't have to pull out your six bible verses or whatever <laughs> that's gonna i don't know try and disprove it or whatever just listen it's amazing the stuff you can learn because i've honestly learned like you know uh, i i don't have time to go into this but like about you know people have shared with me why they speak in tongues and it's honestly not that i speak in that sort of tongues but it's really enhanced my prayer life, just hearing why they do what they do. And then I've been able to translate that into my own, like, oh, right. Oh, so God actually, yeah, okay, I get that. And now that's actually helped my prayer life, even though they came at it from a completely different angle. Mm. They highlighted Bible verses to do with prayer that I never noticed before. Well, maybe we should do a whole episode on tongues. That sounds like fun. We should. I ha- Yeah, I have a lot of, yeah, okay. All right, we will. We will. We will. All right, but <laughs> next, maybe next month or something. Anyway. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. No problem. All right. All right. But yeah, um, try to attend at least one Christian, cross-Christian event in your region, your city, your town uh, every year. It doesn't have to be every week, you know, going to your local ministers fraternal or your, you know, whatever Christian leaders association or whatever it may be. Yeah, or like go a and conference attend. or... Yeah, absolutely. 
Um, and the other thing as well I've found, at least, is that it's really great thing to participate, not just attend, in other uh, functions, events, outreaches that other churches are doing. Um, I, I think that just builds trust and that builds a greater sense of um, the capital C church, you know, thinking mm. about the other churches as active participants in building the kingdom. Even if their, ki- if their slice of the kingdom looks a little bit different to yours, you're still participating all together to building that capital C church and to, you know, really seeing kingdom come and will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Um, we're all in this together. And I think yeah. the more that we can do that, the more that that reality um, seeps into our DNA. Yeah, absolutely. Um, really good. Okay, so make an effort to cross generational boundaries, denominational boundaries. Okay, and here we go. We might get in trouble for this one, but make an effort <laughs> to cross religious boundaries. Um, yeah. So this is connecting, obviously, with atheists, other religions, if they're Buddhist or Sikh or Muslim, um, or just people who have no religious background. Um, it's actually really important. Um, I think it's yeah, super important to any Christian's journey to make sure that you're having real conversations with people who have radically different beliefs than you. Yeah. Um, like not just other Christians all the time, but actually, you know, somebody with a totally different worldview, totally different ultimate reality or whatever. Um, I think like it's, it's imperative. Like it's been what's, it's been a huge part of my journey personally. Mm. Um, just some I, of the conversations I've had with all sorts of different people. And it just has really grown my understanding of God. Yeah. And I think the part of this that's probably going to get us into trouble a little bit, maybe more than anything else we've said, is, well, when people say this, a lot of the time, they only talk about this in an evangelistic lens. Like, it's important to have non-Christian friends so that you can make them Christians. Yeah. Right? Which, you know, we're not against that, obviously. Like, obviously, we think this is the best news everyone want everyone to know. Obviously. But But anyway, keep going. If Imagine you had a friend who was a, I don't know, a golfer. He loves to play golf. And all of his relationships, the end goal for him was to make all of his friends play golf. Like every single person, his mum, his sister, his 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 work associates, his his friends, his high school, you know, old classmates. Like that was his end goal to make every single person he knew a golfer. Like I think... That would be that would come off as a little bit disingenuous after a while. Yeah, it would. Like he just wants, or even to, he wants everybody to come to his golf course and play golf at his golf course. Right. You know what I mean? It's like, like it's it's like that high school friend that you haven't talked to for three years, and they message you out of the blue, and and eventually you realize they're trying to sell you Tupperware. <laughs> it's like that. <laughs> I've jumped in on this pyramid scheme. You should join. Anyway, yeah, exactly. Um, yeah. 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 <laughs> it's like, it's um, like a pyramid scheme of Jesus. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but just, um, and I mean, like I've just started reading, if you can eat, you can make disciples. I'd like to do a whole episode on that too. But anyway, I haven't finished it yet. But just even the idea of just sitting down and having a meal with somebody, I can't say I do this, you know, well at the moment. It's something I want to strive to do better, just to be totally honest. Um, like I don't have like a Buddhist family that I go and eat a meal with. I'd love to. So, you know, any Buddhist families out there in New Zealand, holler, holler at your boy. Um, <laughs> Josh will not try to convert you. <laughs> <laughs> no. Well, that's the thing. I, I remember hearing, um, uh, what's the Irish guy who's friends with Rob Bell? Um, yeah. Um, Pete Rollins. Pete Rollins. He had this whole thing that they did in Ireland. Um, and it was called evangelize us. Yeah. And so he just took a little group from his church and they went to all these different religious 
organizations in Ireland and they just said, hey, we're, we're not here to tell you anything. We're Christians, but we just, we want you to evangelize us. Just tell us everything about your belief and we're just going to listen. And to mm. me, I thought that is so cool. Mm. That is awesome because what a great way to actually really connect with people and let's drop all those boundaries of us and them is to just say, hey, I am totally just here to listen. I just want to know. I'm not here to try and prove you wrong or anything or convert you to what I believe. Just share. I'm so interested. Yeah. And oh. like the kind of opportunities that could create, I mean, if you are going to think about it evangelistically, the kind of opportunities that would create in the future instead would be way better. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. I think, yeah. And like just even like friends who are like really new agey, I don't know what you call that. It's not really a religion, but well, it kind of is a religion, but like, you know, like with the crystals and yoga. It's loose. And, yeah, it's very well, loose. It's a big conglomerate of all these different, and it's, yeah. you know, whatever but like even just hearing that like oh you know so why do you why do you do that what do you feel when you do yoga what do you feel yeah. when you do when you do whatever with the crystals i don't actually know what they do <laughs> um yeah they i was gonna them? say pray to the crystals but i'm like i don't think they do that yeah um anyway you know what i mean and things like yeah, that I, yeah. I think it's just so important for us to just learn to listen again um yeah now there aren't as many cross religion um events you can go to i guess that are explicitly for that purpose but, you know, when we were studying theology, for example, they took us to a um, to a Hindu temple and we got to talk yeah. to the priests and stuff. They took us to a mosque. Um, I've been to a Jewish synagogue before and they fed us. It was amazing. Um, but things like that, like just if you have an opportunity to just go to somebody else's house of worship just for the sake of learning, mm. take mm. it. It's an awesome opportunity, I think. Yeah. And if you ever get the opportunity to eat Sabbath bread, oh, it is like the most beautiful bread. Yes, I remember that bread. Yes, you just oh. remembered. Dang, I'm gluten free. No, ah, I just okay. Oh, okay. Uh, just... All right. Anyway, so but yeah, no, it's true, and I'm so glad you brought up that uh, example of um, Icon, um, Pete Rollins' group that did that because I was going to bring it up. Otherwise, it's just it's it's crazy when you just sit and listen and you aren't there with an agenda how that can open up opportunities. And it's, I know it sounds a little bit backwards, like you evangelize by not evangelizing and like <laughs> yeah. you evangelize by being evangelized too. But honestly, I think that just builds trust. And in our day and age, like we live in a society, we live in a society, um, but we live in a society that um, for, for, for the most part is is becoming more and more tribalistic. We, we, we don't want to listen to each other. We just want to listen to our own tribe. And I think the more that we can demonstrate the opposite of that, of being open-handed and open-hearted, um, I think that's just going to build up the reputation of Christians and, um, yeah, the reputation of God in our in our society, which we live in. Yes, yes, yes. So good. Um, so anyway, I think that's that's everything. Um, yeah. So yeah, a critical, cynical attitude, gossip, lack of teachability, spiritual practice without spiritual transformation, and an us and them attitude are all five things that will poison and kill your church. <laughs> so, <laughs> so don't do them. Don't do it. <laughs> uh, yeah, that is just five things. But we'd love to hear from you. Is there something that we missed that you think we should have brought in and that we should have talked about? We didn't. Um, or do we have it totally wrong? You're like, no, we should gossip all the time in our churches. <laughs> um, whatever it is, we'd love to hear from you. Um, so for all things Burn the Haystack, go to burnthehaystack.org. You can send us a contact form there, and like you know, emails and the Facebooks and those things. And yep. um, if you haven't already subscribed, why don't you go ahead and smash that subscribe button? It's free. 
and that is a beautiful thing. And if you haven't already also uh, written us a rating or a review on your podcatching app of choice, uh, it really helps us to be able to get out there, um, get the podcast more exposure so that we can reach more people. Um, and yeah, we'd really appreciate it if you would do that for us. Thank you. Yep. You know, our ratings and reviews on a website called Chartable have actually placed us in the third most uh, positively reviewed religious podcast in New Zealand. There you go. There you we go. The so all thanks to your most. ratings and reviews. So keep leaving them and then maybe we can hit number one. That'd be cool. Woohoo. I just, um, yeah, I'm looking yeah. forward to that day where we like hit that front page like recommended in that you know, oh, trending that topic. Be- Cool. That'll be cool. cool. One day. One day. One day, maybe. Um, So, yeah. And uh, feel free to join the Facebook group of Burn the Haystack community. Password is Poppy Gloria. Um, Yeah. We'd love to have you on there. Conversations are great. It's hot. That is Josh and Jesse out. I always sync up our audio. I don't bother to record scratch audio anymore, which is probably a little bit reckless, but I always just link us up with our intro because it's so, like, it's the same every time. Yeah, what a reckless guy. I know. I'm reckless just like Jesus' love for me. Oh! (laughs) That is so good. You should leave that in. You should leave that in. (laughs) That's so good. You know, I was was thinking about it. I was like, we, we have some pretty good banter. Like, obviously, sometimes it gets a little bit crazy, but... I don't know. Some of our banter would be fun to slip in somewhere. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like just after or just before. Sort of like what a 200 Church podcast. They yeah. Do that. They have like that little post-show banter. That's right. That's right. I yeah. think that's kind of fun. It's kind of yeah, yeah. cute. <laughs> that's good. <laughs> All right, cool. Well, we've prayed. We've done it. We're, we're, I'm recording, so I don't need to worry about that anymore. We've got the thing up. All right, awesome. Wow. Okay. Uh, I guess... Do you want to start or do you want me to start? What? Why would I start? I don't know. <laughs> okay. <gasps> Welcome back to Burn the Haystack with Josh and Jesse. I'm Jesse. And I'm Josh. And this is a podcast all about helping you say the best and burn the rest of your podcast. And all right, let's do it again. Cowabunga, baby. <laughs> Ooh, I peaked my microphone way too hard then. Yeah, no, I won't yell. I won't, I won't yell in the next one. <laughs>